hello everybody thank you for tuning in to the girl the beard and the groom we are podcasting at night sir yeah it is it is late we are recording it is currently nine o'clock ish if i yawn mind your business because <laughs> you girls a tired queen all the time yeah it's late it's way past your bedtime. <laughs> it really is. But the show must go on. It must go on. And honestly, um, what's a better time to talk about a you know, true crime than when it's dark outside? Yeah, I mean murder in the dark. That's a thing. Absolutely. That would have been a good name for the that show. Would have been a good murder name. Murder in the dark. Why didn't we think of that before? I don't know. Oh well. I like the girl that we're in the grave. It's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. She fits. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we are going to be talking about Andrea Yates. Do you know anything about her? So I do know that she was, uh, I want to say, North Texas resident. Or no. She was from Texas, though. Texas, yes. Okay. I know okay. she was somewhere in Texas. Something about drowned her kids. It was all the news. Mm-hmm. People thought they were missing. Ended up grounded. I don't know a whole lot. Am I not thinking of her? No, I'm thinking of the uh, of the other case. Yeah, I really have no. I I know nothing <laughs> about this case apparently. Because well, you're happened. looking at me like I'm stupid. <laughs> this happened in June of 2001. Okay. So we were 11. So this is the 20th anniversary of that. Everybody, do your own math if you want to know how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so this is a long one. It's rough. I want to. Um, go ahead and give a disclaimer that we are going to talk about children and deceased children and the way that they died. And it is hard to hear. And But I try to do it justice and not go into too much detail. And we just kind of... It's important to the episode, but I don't spend too, too much time on it. But just want to let you know let, now. Let everybody know what's going on. That way, yes. if you got your kids listening, cover their ears. Yes. So, send them to their room. Make up some shit they did wrong. Ground them, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. They'll get over it. You know, but as long as as long as you're not having young audiences, we'll be fine. Yes. So um, grab a drink, grab some snacks. If you're driving, don't do those things. Just listen and drive. Well, I mean, you can you can have a drink and snacks while driving. I'm not encouraging that because I'm not being responsible for anybody's accident. <laughs> Look, I was drunk driving for a long time. If you can't have. A soda and a bag of chips while driving down the road. You got no business being on the highway. That's all I got to say. All righty, guys. So Andrea Yates was born Andrea Kennedy on July 2nd, 1964. That just explained the entire thing. She's a Kennedy. All right. Case closed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's right. (laughs) All right. So she was born in Hallsville, Texas to Andrew Kennedy and Jetta Kohler. And they Uh, were, her mom's name is Jetta. How's that spelled? Uh, J-U-T-T-A. Wow. And so her um, dad Uh, is German and her mom is Irish and they're both first immigrants over to America. Okay. First. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At first I was like, are you mispronouncing like Judah or Judy? Mm -mm, No. And I listened to a bunch of clips in my research so that I knew how to say it the right way. (laughs) I mean, fair. So you said she was born in Hallsville. Yes. Where is that that is located in um it's near i'm gonna say houston because that's the next biggest city so um so it's in that part of texas okay cool it's not central texas what am i trying to think of like like the the southeastern coastal area yeah yeah yeah. well the the reason i say that is because Mm -hmm. for anybody listening 
if you know anything about the state of Texas, obviously it's massive. Mm-hmm. So when I'm like, yeah, she might have been a North Texas resident. The fact that she lives there means she's not a North Texas resident. That's a long ways away. Yes. So Andrea is the youngest of five children, um, and she was raised in a very strict Catholic household, which, you know, Irish, German, immigrant parents. It's going to be a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but just remember that because religion actually plays a big part in her marriage later on and her mental health state as well. Well, I mean, Catholicism. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so, while a teenager, Andrea suffered from bulimia and um, depressive. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. Depressive episodes. Um, She even admitted to her friends in school that she wanted to kill herself. Wow. Okay. So she's, you know, she's speaking out. She's trying to let some people know. Right. Now, so bulimia, that's not the not eating one. That's the the throwing up one. Yes. They typically have like binge episodes and then um, the like binge everything they've ever wanted to eat and then go throw it up. Okay. Yeah, see, I also in, know nothing about eating disorders. In some cases, some cases, it doesn't involve binging, but, but and it didn't say which one hers was. It but just, that's definitely yeah. the one where they, after they, they'll go throw up. Yes, okay. yes. Um, and so there's not really much information on um, if she sought out treatment or was able to speak to somebody when she was younger about this. Right. Um. Yeah, there's just really not much really on her childhood either. Everything that she said was that she had a pretty normal childhood, and yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it gotcha. is what it is. Um, so she ended up graduating from Milby High School in 1982. Okay. She was a class valedictorian, captain of her swim team, and she was the head officer of the National Honor Society. So you see some things here. Probably some of her issues in high school, whereas... She worked really hard. Right. Maybe that was kind of pushed on her. I mean, valedictorian, captain of your swim team, and head officer of National Honor Society, like, you're making you're, you're making grades and you're doing a lot in high school. Yeah, you've got a lot going on. That's, like, yeah. one of those things where, like, you know those people that they, they want to do everything in high school, mm-hmm. so they sign up for all of it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's tough. So, she always wanted to be a nurse, so she went on to actually complete a two-year pre-nursing program um, at the University of Houston and graduated from the UT Health Science Center in Houston with her RN. Okay. Okay. So from 1986 to 1994, she worked as a registered nurse at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, which I know a lot of people out there are going to know that name because it's people from all over the world come there for the cancer treatment. All right. Now, where is that cancer center at? It's in Houston. In Houston. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty big one. Um, so in the summer of 1989, Andrea meets her future husband, Russell Yates, but everybody called him Rusty. Okay. Okay. Um, they actually happen to live at the same apartment complex, which is the Sunscape Apartments in Houston. Um, and they met by the pool one day. He was swimming. She was sunbathing. And, um, I guess he just wouldn't quit trying to talk to her and splashing her from the pool and, you know, all that cute flirty things. And she finally ended up just kind of giving into him, like just charm. And they began dating. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, they bonded a lot over the fact that they were both super religious. They found a church they like going together. They would have their own Bible studies together. Um, that was just something that they really clicked on. Was something that they definitely had in common. Right. So, 
Um, they moved in together on April 17th, 1993. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They moved in together, and then, like, a few months later, on April 17th, 1993, they were married. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was quick. So, actually, I mean, they had been together for almost four years at that point. Well, I mean, from moving into married, you know. Yeah. Granted, I guess it was the early 90s, so, you know, that was, <laughs> that was the thing. Um, it was reported that at their wedding, they told all of their friends and family that they would have as many children as God would give them. Oh, boy. So, nothing against that, but people, you know, oh, when people no, believe no, no, in that. I know. But um, that, to me, always screams, we're going to have more children than we might be able to handle. Absolutely. Yeah, I could be wrong. There are probably some people out there that feel differently. I I see some people that are like that, that they have all the children. And it gets to a point where it's like, man, they're like, I, I can't keep having kids. And I'm like, well, you can just stop. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but, you know, you neither know, here nor there. may get some hate for this, but... God wants you to be able to take care of your children. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of important, too. Uh, the ones that you have, not keep having them to fix problems. Yeah. Um, so they soon bought a four-bedroom house in Friendswood, Texas. Um, and in less than a year into their marriage, they welcomed their first child, Noah, in February 1994. Okay. By the end of 1995, their second child, uh, another son, John, was born. Um, and by this time, Rusty had accepted a job offer in Florida, so they relocated into a small trailer home in Seminole, Florida. Okay. Okay. Um, he actually worked for NASA. Really? He didn't say what he did or anything, but um, so that had something to do with the move. Right. By the time they had their third child, Paul, in September 1997, they were relocating back to Houston area, um, and this time they moved into a motor home. Okay. But I've also heard some reports in my research that this was actually a converted Greyhound bus. Okay. Not an actual RV. Not like a a pre-built RV, something that was like a home build? Yeah, so this was like, you know, the trend that's going on right now before it was a trend. Yeah. Before it became popular, I had to live in a bus. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's take a step back. We have four years of marriage and three kids already under the age of four in 1997. This is where we're at now. That's that's a lot. 17 months later, Andrea has their fourth son, Luke, in February 1999. So not only do they have now four children, they have four boys at this point, let's see, 17 months later, so they're all under the age of six. Yep. Yep. That is a lot of boys. Yep. This is when Andrea began to have more depressive episodes. Right. Okay. Um, so on June 16th, 1999, this is just four short months later, um, after their fourth son, Luke, was born, she calls Rusty home and um, tells him he needs to come home right away. She doesn't explain anything, hangs up the phone, so he drops what he's doing, which I imagine if he's still working at NASA, which I'm I'm pretty sure he is. Right. Um, that's not gonna be an easy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, you've gotta be able to you know yeah. that's a that's a lot of job to just be able to drop yeah. everything and leave. Um so when he finally did get home, he finds Andrea shaking and chewing her fingers, not her nails. Her actual her fingers. Actual fingers. She was chewing them. Chewing the skin off. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, he had just assumed that she was tired, needed some rest, 
So he calls his boss, takes the rest of the day off, lets her sleep, but then he goes to work the next day. All right. Okay. So on that very next day, she then tries to kill herself by taking um, an overdose of trazodone, which is a sleeping aid and can be used to help treat depression as well. Yeah. So um, she was then admitted to the Methodist Hospital for a major depression disorder. And just one month later, she was admitted to Memorial Spring Shadows Glen. What a name for psychiatric <laughs> treatment <laughs> after she tries to kill herself again. Wow. So just in a few months, she's had a major breakdown and two suicide attempts. Yeah. So she's she's not in a good headspace. No. She begged Rusty um, to let her die. This is before she got checked in. This is what led to her being um, checked into Memorial Spring was that she had begged Rusty to let her die while holding a kitchen knife up to her neck. Wow. This time she gets out on, um, she's in for about a month on inpatient hold and then she gets out and they put her on outpatient hold for two months where she has to go, you know, she has to come in a few times a week, have meetings, check in with her doctor, check in with a counselor, make sure, you know, she's doing what she needs to be doing. Right. Um, her, the treatment that they start her on this time around is Haldol. Okay. okay. Have you ever heard of that medication it before? It sounds familiar, but I don't really know much about it. It was super, super, super popular in the 90s. Um, and it is used to treat mental disorders, mostly schizophrenia. Okay. Which is what they think that she has at this time. This is what they initially decide what they're going to diagnose her with and treat her as. Right. For like a schizophrenic break. Yes. Okay, so also at this time, Rusty decides she's about to be released, so he goes and buys a house. Okay. Um, and trying to get him out of this bus RV situation. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, like you said, not as popular know, as it is today. They've got two adults and four kids, so he's like, for her mental state, um, you know, let's let's get us back into a home. Right. Her doctor then diagnosed her with postpartum psychosis. Now, what is that? So that is a fancy word of saying postpartum depression. <laughs> well, that seems strange to call it that then. But that's all I can really find on it. Um, it basically is is kind of an elevated version of postpartum depression, where you're having you're you're really having like a mental breakdown. Okay, you're she's having not natural thoughts about either ending her life or this baby's life or her children's life as well. well. So me, I don't know because, because nothing ever came out and said that she admitted early at this time that she was having those thoughts, but that's pretty much what postpartum psychosis means in my research. Right. The thing that got me is that like that to me sounds like, you know, old school doctors when they didn't understand what like PMS, other disorder, you know, what other, other right. things were, they were like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, she's got the mania, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and it's like, when you, but just the way you say it, when it's like, you know, postpartum psychosis, which is kind of like postpartum depression, but more, I'm like, mm -hmm. that seems like they had psychosis just because you're a woman. But I'll tell you when they have their fifth child the psychosis thing will come back around and it'll make a little bit more sense. Okay. okay. So, um, she gets sent, referred to a psychiatrist and it, her name is Dr. Eileen Starbranch. Um, and Eileen 
um, she preferred to go by Eileen, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, she set them both down and told Andrea and Rusty, no more children. <laughs> right. She's like, Andrea's mental state cannot handle it. Yeah. Her hormones already don't function properly. Right. And then going through the trauma of childbirth and everything. Yeah. She's like, no more. She was like, it would guarantee a future psychotic break bigger than they could imagine. Those were her words that she told them. Right. But okay. being that they were Catholic, I'm assuming the idea of not having any more children was not an option. Right. Um, so with that information, they conceived their fifth and final child seven weeks later. Of course they did. Okay. Um, and so at that point, she also stopped taking the Howdall. Now, at this point, she had been on the Howdall for about nine months, and it was actually working well for her. She, Her moods were stabilizing. She was there for her children. She was a much better functioning person. Now, did they say anything about either A, why she stopped taking the Howdall, or... You can't take it while you're pregnant. Okay. Um, it's not... There are a couple antidepressants that are out there that you can take, but most of them you have to stop whenever you find out you're pregnant because they can cause um, birth defects, birth defects and issues. And mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so she stopped taking that in March of 2000, and she gave birth to their daughter Mary on November 30th, 2000. She seemed to be coping well afterwards, um, and that was until. So this is. Around November, she has Mary. In March, so what, five months later, four or right. five months later, um, her father passes away. Okay. Now, after having Mary, did she return to taking Haldol? No. Okay. Was there a reason? Did, they, did you find anything on that? Or, um, or was yes, it more of and just we'll, a... we'll get there as okay. well. Yeah. Um, because she actually <laughs> goes and sees another... Um, another psychiatrist and neurologist and things. So we'll talk about it, but, okay. but it was reported that she seemed like she was coping well. She seemed like she was doing well. I, she had started doing exercises where she would go to her husband, where she would go to Rusty and say, I need help. I, and that was like a big problem before she just tried to do it all. Right. And be super mom. Okay. Yeah. So her father passes away and starts on a downward spiral at that point. Yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, that's, that's a big event in someone's mm -hmm. life. So, um, this would make it three months before the drownings. Okay. This, this is where we're at right now. Um, so what she starts doing at first is mutilating herself. Um, and doesn't state, you know, what she was doing, but just okay. that she was self mutilating and she started turning to the Bible right. and was studying it like crazy. And if you know anybody that's going through some mental issues or have or have known anybody or read anything about that, that typically is not a good thing because they interpret the Bible a whole other way. Yeah. So typically like, than what it's supposed to be interpreted. Yeah, like the old school, you know, Old Testament, vengeful God and everything mm -hmm. that becomes a much more literal idea than it yes. is when you're in your right mind. Yes. So she. Yeah, she had not returned to her. Um, medication and she started going into catatonic like state of mind. Rusty would come home from work and she, the children, like she wasn't feeding Mary and Mary is only a few weeks old at this time. 
Wow. Okay? And so she's hadn't fed Mary all day, changed her all day, dealt with any of the other children. They would be running around like crazy. They hadn't been fed all day. Whatever Noah, the oldest, whatever he could reach is what he would get for the his brothers and that was it. Like she would just be in like a fugue state basically. Just, she would be completely zoned out. Yes. Um on April first, two thousand one, she came under the care um of a new psychiatrist, Mohammed Said. Okay. Okay. Um and so she was treated and released by him. He felt as though he could treat her on an outpatient basis. Right. But also, you know, told um, Rusty that she needed to be, she needed help. Like yeah. He needed to hire help for her. Yeah. She needed to focus on getting better and he needed to hire somebody to take care of the children. Right. Okay. So on May 3rd, she goes into another catatonic state again. Rusty takes her to Dr. Saeed's office and she ends up admitting to him that she had filled the bathtub in the middle of the day and had planned on drowning her children that day. Wow. Um, but actually what she told him, because she actually admitted that it was for the children later. What she told him is that she had filled the bathtub with the intent to drown herself. Which is really hard okay. to do. I don't know if anyone knows that, but yeah. drowning yourself, um, especially in a small amount of liquid, is incredibly difficult because your natural instincts fight that. She was um, hospitalized the next day. After that visit, and he basically, Dr. Saeed, just determined that she was just suicidal and just needed to go back on her medication. Right. Okay. Okay. So this is when we're going to get to the drownings. Okay. Okay. We're going to. I feel like, based on your last sentence, it sounded like we made a step in the right direction. Now you're like, nope, doom and gloom. So what happened? So I'm going to, I'll go back to that because there's some information that we end up finding out like whenever she's questioned by the police and Dr. Saeed is questioned we'll find out okay you know in the few weeks space that there was you know what happened okay um okay so just to tell you again graphic content talk of deceased children okay at the time the Yates family is living in Clear Lake City which is a suburb of Houston um, she is still under the care of Dr. Saeed, and his instructions, again, are that Andrea cannot be left alone for any amount of time. She needs round-the-clock care. Right. Somebody needs to be there at all times. Yeah. Okay. Um, on June 4th, she had asked her, or I'm sorry, had asked Dr. Saeed to take her off the Haldol again, because they were trying it out again, and she didn't like how it made her feel, which Haldol can do that. It really mellows you out yeah and can make you kind of out of body experience in a way right um or in some cases it can make people just like sleep for days at a time yeah because they use it for people that are like having manic episodes when they're not sleeping right. as well so she didn't like how it made her feel she wanted to be more alert um to to see her children so he agrees and changes her medication to a affects her Okay. Okay, which is, um, it can be used as a stimulant, but it's not, it's not like taking Adderall or anything like that, but, but it can definitely be there, but it helps with like anxiety and right things like that. So okay. on June 20th, 2001, Rusty gets ready for his day and leaves for work around 8.30 a.m. 
Rusty has it scheduled with his mom, Dora, to arrive one hour after he leaves to come stay with Andrea and watch the children. So, I remember, she's not supposed to be left alone. But again, you know, even even when you say that, an hour break, it, you, you yeah. first thought, what, what could happen in an hour? Right. That never happens because at approximately 9.48 a.m., she calls 911 asking for police, but does not state why. When asked if she needed an ambulance, Andrea initially says no to the operator, but changes her mind when she's asked once more. Okay. Eight minutes after she called 911, she called Rusty and asked him to come home ASAP. Okay. Doesn't tell him why. So he left at what time? Um, around 8.30 a.m. And she made the phone call to the police at? 9.48 a.m. So an hour and 15. Mm-hmm. So obviously his mother didn't get there yet. No. no. Okay. Which I tried to look and see if she had shown up, like, after the police got there. <laughs> right, if you she know, ever kinda, showed up. Right, if she kind of just came up on the scene, like, um, but I never found any information on that. Um, it only took Andrea one hour, about one hour from the time Rusty left to drown all five of the children. Um, this is where it's going to get a little graphic and... I'm going to try not to cry. Okay. Um, Andrea started with John, Paul, and Luke. Um, She drowned them first and then carried them to her bed and laid them all in a row. She then drowned Mary. All right. Mary is only about three months old at this time. Okay. Um, She had left Mary floating in the bathtub when she went to go get Noah, who was the oldest child. Right. Um, he ended up coming in after she had gotten, or had ended up coming in the bathroom, the bathroom, (laughs) right? And asked what was wrong with Mary and why she was floating in the water. Once he put two and two together, he ran from Andrea. She chased him around the house for a few minutes, ended up catching him and slamming him down into the bathtub and drowned him. Wow. Um, she ended up le- leaving him floating in the bathtub and picked up Mary and placed him inside of John's arms in the bed. That's when she called the police and she repeatedly kept saying, I need an officer, but wouldn't state why. She then called Rusty and told him to come home right away. So. That is intense. Yes. Alrighty. So we're going to move on from that. I didn't want to go into too much more detail about it. We all, you can look it up if you want more details about that, but let's move on to when the police arrived. Okay. Um, police officer David Knapp was the first responding officer to the Yates home. He said he knocked on the door and, um, Andrea answered and just looked at him with the most dead eye stare and just said, I killed my kids. She appeared to be out of it, almost in a catatonic state again. <clears throat> she grabbed his hand and led him to the master bedroom and kept repeating, I've killed my kids. Right. Um, she took him to the master bedroom where the bodies of four of her children were laid out on the bed. Officer Knapp described the children as looking like lumps and they had frothy substances coming from three of their mouth, ma- three of the children's mouths. He, had, he led Andrea away as she was still repeating, I've killed my kids, into the living room where he called for backup and began to question Andrea. Because at this time, since she wouldn't state what the reason was, 
911 sent that initial officer out there and they didn't really know what the situation was going to be. So it's not like it was a huge bust down ambulance fire trucks at, at that time. Yet. Yeah. Um, once he called in that backup, that's when they knew they did need to dispatch everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Just everyone. He stated that her hair and clothes were still wet and she spoke in a monotone voice and showed no facial expression. Um, once the other officer arrived, they in, um, they left her in the living room and they went and inspected the home. And that's when they found Noah, the oldest child, still floating in the bathtub. One of the officers attempted to revive him, but when EMS arrived, they pronounced him dead. Um, Andrea was not actually questioned much more after that for a couple of days um, because they got her into a mental facility and put her on that first like uh, 48 hour hold and got her back on her medication. Yeah. They got her on Haldol because Haldol is what they give you when you have a break. Yeah. Normally when they have to take you to like the emergency room and things like that, that's right. what they're going to give you. So they get her back on that. They wait for her to have a clear mind. Um, and they wanted to be able to question her at her most clear-minded state <laughs> as much as she could be. Yeah. Um, well, especially for for trial purposes and things like that. When you question someone that's in an altered state like that, mm -hmm. one, the defense attorneys will be able to get most of it thrown out because mm -hmm. they can say, look, this person obviously wasn't in their right mind when you questioned them. So that shouldn't count against them because they weren't in their right mind. Yeah. And now that you bring that up, it really, we don't really see that in a lot of cases. Um, we see them make the mistake of questioning them and whatnot. And yeah. so, um, or getting people to false confess to things because of that as well. So, I mean, looking at this, I mean, obviously she was guilty. She wasn't going <laughs> to not, she had already said, I've killed my kids over and yeah. over again. So, but again, that statement can be spun by a either a defense attorney or whatever to, you know, not, oh, she didn't mean she intentionally murdered her children. She meant that, you know, she had drawn a bath for herself, walked away, and, you know, the, the kids drowned or whatever. Now, granted, you know, then they could say that, oh, because she was in, you know, she had this mental breakdown because her kids drowned themselves... She tried to remove them from the you know bath and put them in bed, and then that's when her mind cleared enough to realize that she needed to call for help. Yeah, you know there are plenty of ways to spin that. So the fact that they didn't just keep pushing, mm. I think, kind of solidified their case. <clears throat> um, so when she was finally questioned, she told the police that she wanted to kill her children because they misbehaved from time to time and needed to go back to heaven. Her quote was they were not developing correctly and because of that she was a bad mother and needed to try again. Okay. That's one way of looking at it, I guess. Her family believes that Andrea's mental state was heavily influenced by religious teaching from Michael Ronanecki. Don't kill me for that name. <laughs> Never heard of him. Um, a preacher whom Rusty had actually met years earlier when he was at Auburn University. He was a very fire and brimstone kind of minister preacher. Right. Okay. Um, he would actually encourage his followers to send him letters and he would respond with solutions to their problems. So Andrea sent him letters. 
(laughs) when she she would be studying the Bible and was interpreting it in her way, the way that her mind wanted to do, she would send him letters and he would, um, tell her, you know, you've got these altered thoughts that makes you a demon and you're going to burn in hell for taking the medication that was prescribed from the doctors. Of, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I want to put this out there. I don't want to come across as anti-religion. Uh, I do believe that anyone and everyone can have a relationship with God or whoever it is they worship. But I do feel as though there are some religious zealots that take it too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was raised in a Catholic household. All right. And Catholicism is borderline occult (laughs) but i think my grandmother who was a catholic church organist for 60 plus years you know uh very religious woman she was the she was an organist in new york she was selected to play for the pope at shea stadium she was very catholic i think she put it best because she told me from a very young age that jesus was looking for spirits of the fruit and not religious nuts yeah And I think that sums up everything you need to know about religion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it all, when you have people out there that are supposed to be, you know, teaching the word of God and they twist and turn the Bible stories to what they want, that's when you start getting crazies. Well, especially, (laughs) you know, I, I guarantee as more episodes come out as we do more of these there will be more where the bible or religion in one way or another mm-hmm. influenced someone's crimes and it, Absolutely. it it's like a very common theme the whole satanic panic in the early uh, late 80s and early 90s will definitely have to do yeah we'll touch have to on, go, that go sure. some on that but. um so the next section here i've got some dates and just what they mean because there's so much information and we would be here for three parts probably if i did all of it so on july 30th 2001 so this is just over a month after the drownings she was indicted on two counts of capital murder and pleads not guilty for reason of insanity okay okay february 18th 2002 the trial finally begins okay so, eight months? Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in Andrea's first trial, she did confess to killing her children. Her attorney did try to get the insanity plea, but the jury threw it out based on the responding officer's statements of her admitting, I've killed my children. Because they took that as she understood what she was doing. Because insanity, in order to get that, you have to prove without a doubt the, the, uh, the person knew right from wrong. And again, I think that statement is a very broad statement. Yeah. And so, again, not defending her, but I think that could have been argued either way. Mm -hmm. But we'll see it come back around. So her attorney had several doctors come in as witnesses, and several of them were ones that had treated her when she was in and out of hospitals. Right. um, And stating that she definitely suffered from a severe case of postpartum depression and was unaware of her actions. Like... Several of the doctors came up and said, without a shadow of a doubt, they would put their life, career, and everything on the Bible, (laughs) that she was completely unaware of what she was doing. Because they had seen her come in in those kind of states when she would have to be admitted to these hospitals and then see how much it would change when she was actually medicated. 
Yeah, and so essentially, they were, they, mm-hmm. their their thought process is: yes, she did something, and after the fact, she knew what happened, but she still didn't know that it was wrong or why. Yes. Um, so during her trial in March of 2002, the prosecution um, had a witness come forward that states um, that he believed Andrea had got the idea from an episode of Law and Order that there. He had seen that there was this episode of this mother that drowns her children, and that's where she got the idea from, that it wasn't her mental state. It was because she had saw it on TV. Why, they got to be thrown on order under the bus. So the producers of the show actually come forward, like, with a quickness. Of course. And they're like, we've never had an episode like that. Really? Yeah. Like, they come out and say, we've never had an episode like that. We've never had an episode that, that shows a mother, a father... Anybody drowning children. Ever. Ever. So where did At they... At this time, there so, might have been one since right. then, but... So where did they <sighs> get the idea that Law & Order had an episode like that? I have no idea, but this comes back around in her second trial, because she has a jury that's hearing all of this information. Yeah. Okay? So we know, we watched documentaries and listened to True Crime before, and we know... They tell you to keep an open mind as a juror, or when they strike something, you're supposed to not remember it and put that into your decision. But that once happen. it's out there, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. You can't un- unhear <clears throat> things. So on March 12th, 2002, she is convicted on all counts of capital murder and is sentenced to life in prison. I mean, okay. yeah, that, that about sums it up. So they have her. She's just in straight a maximum security women's prison here in Texas. She's doesn't have any, she's not getting any treatment or anything. Cause let's be real. They want to tell you that these people are getting the medication they're supposed to be when they're in prison, but it ain't happening. No. <laughs> it ain't happening. Um, unless so it's a, it's, unless it's a, a, what's the word I want to use here? A, uh, medical institutional facility. Yeah. Like a regular prison is not dispensing. No medication unless it's directly to their benefit like if the prisoner is you know dangerous without it but Mm -hmm. agreeable with it then Mm -hmm. yeah they'll probably dispense it but so just over two years later on april 30th 2004 um gates attorney george parnum files an appeal um and while this happens andrea is actually being placed on suicide watch because she's refusing to eat um and on july 30th 2004 rusty files for divorce um, but he still ends up sticking around for Andrea, like even through her second trial and everything. Right. Um, and so on July, or I'm sorry, January 6, 2005, the Texas first court of appeals reverses Andrea's conviction saying that the testimony about the law and order show comment skewed the jury's opinion. Yeah. But well, especially once you hear something like that, oh yeah, you know, that's, mm. The, oh, she saw it on TV. That's the thing. Which, to me, that's very Mandela effect that somebody stated that this TV show had an episode. Yeah. And then the network comes out and says, we've never had an episode like that. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is very strange. But I, I don't know if maybe there was, they were thinking of another show, perhaps. Or yeah. if they were just making it up to make it up. I don't know. Now, this is a big win, um, especially for women that have committed crimes in Texas because it can take, I mean, this is just three years, not even three years after she was first convicted. 
normally it can take like 10 years for your first appeal to even have any kind of movement. So the yeah. fact that they're already like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like it needs to be reversed. Um, so on March 17th, 2005, her divorce is finalized. Right. She gets 5,000, 5,000, sorry, I'm looking at a seven, $7,000 cash right out of it. From what? The divorce? Yeah. Um, I guess that was the division of the assets. Well, apparently okay. they didn't have much. <laughs> didn't, they didn't sell that bus for a whole lot, did right. they? <laughs> um, the right to be buried near her children whenever she passes. Um, because normally if you're in, if you're like a ward of the state in prison and things like that, most of the time you're going to be uh, buried in a prison cemetery. Right. Um, not very often are you able to get you know out of that. So she was has the right to be buried near her children when she passes. And because it is Texas and we're a community state, <laughs> she actually has all rights to receive 50% of Rusty's pension when he, when he retires from NASA. Of, of course. Even though they're not married anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, so on February 2nd, 2006, a judge approves a $200,000 bond for Yates on the condition that she commits herself willing to willingly to the Rusk State Hospital in East Texas. Okay. So her, they allow her um, attorney, George um, Pernum, to come get her because at this time, like, he's become a really good friend. Right family friend, all of that. And so they allow him to come pick her up and drive her. And he actually ends up, which he didn't admit this until um, the 2020 special this past summer. Right. That he ended up taking her to his friend's farm in East Texas and let her walk around <laughs> for two hours um, to see the horses and the cows. And to like get some fresh air and all that because I mean, I guess but. she loved animals and all this. So he like, he's like, we had a cup of coffee and sat on the porch and watched nature. And she went and like pet some horses and cows and fed them. And then he took her and to, to turned her in mental facility. Mm -hmm. Um, so on June 26, 2006, her new trial begins. Um, this is four years. I'm sorry. Five years since the drownings have happened and four years since she was convicted. Uh, 30 days later, on July 26, she is found not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered to still serve her life, but in a state mental facility. Okay. So in 20, or I'm sorry, yeah, in 2007, she moves to the Vernon campus in Kerrville, Texas, where she is still located to this day. Um, in 2014, she was actually allowed rights to leave the facility for group activities, um, and everything was going okay until the town found out, and then they alerted the media, and, and then peer pressure. Then of they course. started like chasing them, chasing her. Like she's just like literally, they were just allowing them to go to like a public library and like Walmart and stuff like that, supervised, and people would not leave her alone. Now that being said, now when you say that there were a lot of these go these places supervised, so almost kind of like a, I don't want to use the word field trip, but there was somebody like a staff from the institution with them, and they would be allowed to go and do things out in public. Yeah, because like where she's at in this state hospital, she's not like 
under solitary confinement or anything like that. She's able to walk around on the campus and all of that. Right. Um, she has an ankle monitor on, so she can't go past. Like, they have um, a green line barrier that would send off a signal if she walks over that line. That's yeah, like, so she can't just, like, know. walk out of the hospital. Right. Um, but it's, like, a mile radius from, like, the center of the facility that she can walk the grounds. Like, they have... Um, equestrian therapy and which is horse therapy for anybody that doesn't know um, art classes and stuff like that and actually said that um, she has been making art and crafts for like local businesses and then they're selling it under an anonymous name because she doesn't want the um, and they don't ever say like what the businesses are because she doesn't want anybody to know but apparently she's quite the artist. Well, and and the thing is this, is that she obviously had some sort of mental, I want to say mental disorder, but I guess that it would classify as that. But she, she had a psychotic break or a schizophrenic break that caused her to do terrible things based upon her skewed view of the world at the time. Now, I can understand the city around that institution being like, well, we don't want her amongst people. But at the same point, she, in her delusion, had poisoned her kids' minds, essentially, Mm -hmm. and they had to go. And she's actually come out and said that it took her many years of finally getting the treatment that she needed to actually grieve her children. Yeah. Um, and I assume there was a lot of fog and <laughs> yeah. just overall just trauma to work through before she, before really, and this was like even years after her second trial, that she finally grieved and realized the magnitude of what she had done. Yeah. And so because of that, like every year um, she comes up for review, like even though it says that she's supposed to serve her life sentence in this facility. She's actually up for review every year to see if she is able, like she's been kind of like parole. Yeah. Like that she's been rehabbed and she's able to rejoin society and she waves it every year. Yeah. Cause she's like, she knows that she's not, and she knows that she can't be on her own and she doesn't want to be a burden to the family and friends that she still has that are still living because I mean, she's like 57 years old now. Yeah. And so she's like, let me just live out my life. I have a, I have a nice, I have a room here. I have everything I could need. And she's getting treatment, which is the important yeah. thing. And I, I think mm-hmm. with a lot of these cases, especially when we read, you know, talked about the earlier portion during the section about the murders, a lot of people want to paint her as a villain. Mm-hmm. And a, I can't excuse what she did, no matter what state of mind she was in. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. But if someone with another mental disorder that we know more about, you know, did something, we wouldn't punish them the same way. Right. You know, if you go back to like of mice and men, you know, uh, George and Lenny, like, you know, it wasn't really right for letting to go out the way he did because he was mentally handicapped and he didn't know what he was doing. And I feel like a lot of people, they try to villainize certain people, but if they have a mental disability or a mental disorder, mm-hmm. it's yeah. not like a standard criminal. They no. they can be 
rehabilitated, but I think during rehabilitation, most of them realize, even though I can be rehabilitated, the stigma that comes with what I've done and my mental disorder Mm -hmm. means it's better to stay where I am. Yeah. Um, So Rusty did several interviews, um, you know, after it happened and, and everything. He even did, he did a big one with Oprah. Um, and he did, well, he did two. He did one after her second trial and then around the 15th anniversary. So about five years ago. Um, and he has been able to come out and say he should have done more. He should have, as her husband, taken it more serious when the doctors were like, she like, don't get her pregnant again. (laughs) Like she needs me on these things. He's like, I should have taken it more serious. I shouldn't have just been like, Oh, I'll just have my mom come by and watch her he was like we needed to hire help and he's like and we could afford it he was like they like they didn't live in an rv and a bus because they were having financial problems yeah <laughs> he's like it was just a choice they had made yeah and so he's like we he's like i i definitely should have been there and he actually got remarried and had another son um but he later did get divorced again from her um but i i think i read his son now is like 12 years old gotcha well, and I, I, I want to say that I feel as though, and I'm glad that he was able to come out and say that, mm-hmm. but again, this was the early 90s, mm-hmm. mental, well, I say the early 90s, it was the late 90s, but, but mental, there's still that, like, mental health wasn't really un- well understood, even like it is now. Mm-hmm. And even now we know nothing, mm-hmm. but, you I'll know. just pray it away, oh, which I, boy. you know, there, there is a lot more out there about how she, you know, took their religion and how she would just be like, I just need to be better. I just need to be, I just need to pray. I need to do this. I need to do that. And if I take birth control or take this medication, then I'm I'm going against God or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Poisoning the the temple that is my body. Um, if the children were still alive today, they would all be in their twenties. Right. Um, yeah. So that's sad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's, and, well, and I, it's hard to think I think the hardest one for me is Mary you know, yeah. she was a few months old and, and from the sounds of it from the time that Andrea had Mary I don't think Mary was ever loved and not that, not really like loved but she wasn't ever well taken care of by her mother yeah. her mother wasn't like ever in a state already, of mind to really care for her right. daughter she had her and I'm sure there was like the honeymoon stage the first few days where your hormones are at this all time high Yeah. <laughs> but then it was like just a few weeks later Andrew's refusing to feed her whether it's a bottle or breastfeeding <laughs> and, yeah. and so it's and then you know tragically she loses her life i mean it was tragic for all the children but i it i just have a it, it hits you, know, you harder when it's an infant. Yeah. And, yeah so i do want to i do want to put out there that you know in no way during this episode do i want anyone to think that i'm trying to justify what she did or you know anything along those lines uh i have a bad habit of playing devil's advocate <laughs> mm-hmm. but um i do feel as though this case did two things. One, it shined a spotlight on what was a absolutely terrible, horrible crime, mm-hmm. but it also shined a spotlight on mental health and mental health awareness, uh, yeah. which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. That we're still, to this day, discovering new things. 
Oh, every day. About. And, um, but then there, there's also a lot of people out there that are like, that's just bullshit. Yeah. You don't have anxiety. I, just get over it. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I'm, uh, like you and I know, I'm ADHD. Mm-hmm. Severely. <laughs> Anxi- <laughs> the... Anxiety and depression over here in this seat. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the the number of times people are like, well, I don't understand what, like, what do you mean you have ADHD? So just focus. It's fine. And I'm like, it's really not that simple. You know? I wonder, though, about Andrea, if, if even if she had the 24-hour care, if, yeah, maybe the children would still be with us. But I think Andrea would have found a way to successfully kill herself at some point. I, I really at, do. At the very minimum, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, I think it boils down to, and again, this is unfortunate, but in the early 90s, until something extreme happened, mm-hmm. mental health wasn't a priority. Mm-hmm. That's really what it boils down to. And, you know, a lot of them, um, like the media for sure, once they found out who her doctors were and stuff, they were like attacking them. And since Dr. Saeed was the last doctor that she had saw, he was like, no, no way are you putting this on me. He was like, here are the notes that I wrote. Here's what I told her husband. Here's what I told her. Here's here's what I told her whole family. Yeah. And he was like, and they chose to not, not to follow that. <laughs> and he's like, and he goes, yeah, I did take her off the Haldol. He was like, but I put her on another medication that she obviously was still not taking properly and abusing. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which, yeah, that... He was very vocal. And all of her doctors really were like, that's why they testified. Well, and they were like, we told y'all this was going to happen. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's that's also something important is like, you know, at that time frame, the 90s and 2000s, mental health doctors had been saying for years how important this was. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming, it became more and more apparent throughout the early 2000s, you know, into the 10s. Yeah. So, and now we're in the 2020s and it's like now mental health health awareness is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially, I think a lot of people, when we go into 2020, when they were forced to stay home, a lot of, they were like discovering, you know, I don't know if I'm right all the way right in my head right now. (laughs) Well, I don't think any of us are. Is it the pandemic or have I always been this screwed up? I think all of us (laughs) are always a little off. It's just human nature for us to be a little different. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. Yeah, for sure. And to not be, not be judged. And I feel like Andrea wanted to be able to have that in uh, Michael, the preacher. Yeah. You know, where she's like, oh, he'll let me write him letters and he'll respond to me. And, and he'll, that, help me he'll be this, this out. person outside of my marriage that I can talk to. And then he ended up just responding with you're a demon and you're going to burn in hell. Yeah. I think because she you was, sought out treatment. <laughs> well, I, I think that was her reaching out for help on a mm-hmm. spiritual level mm-hmm. because they'd already gone the doctor out. And after reading the Bible in her altered state of mind, she felt that there had to be a religious solution. I think like religious validation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that reaching out to him and him going, yeah, no, you're evil, and that's it. That really messed her up. Yeah, I think so, too. So. Well, that is the case of Andrea Yates. She um, is still living. Like I said, she's 57 as of this year. Um, she's in Kerrville, Texas at the state hospital. You can um, look up. They have a website. Oh, look, you can see what the facility looks like. <laughs> Well, you know, and I mean, all of that, you know, in case you're uh, it's owned by the state of Texas. So it's still 
you know, it's not going to be a Ritz Carlton or anything. But oh, yeah, no. that's where she lives, and it seems like she's doing well. And that's what it is. Her lawyer says he talks to her still every week. Right. And You know, and the thing that, that always throws me off, anytime you hear about these cases, the lawyer always ends up becoming... Like a friend. Either a friend or a confidant to the, to the person. I will say, too, I forgot to say this. He um, didn't want the case. They had, like, his her family had been calling him right, over right. and over and over again. And he was like, I don't want this freaking well, case. Especially you with know? the original media, you know, attention mm-hmm. around it. And he went and um, met with some doctors that agreed to sit down with him and, like, gave him books and a whole <laughs> bunch of information on what postpartum depression is and psychosis oh that's where the psychosis came back into where they were realizing with um her not feeding mary that's where they said the psychosis comes in because mothers a few weeks after giving birth when they do start having those postpartum depressions the psychosis is where you're wanting to hurt the newest child or yourself or both Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's like, the definable Like basically they ha- they start having those dark thoughts, dreams, visions um, of them hurting that child. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, but he, that, he learned all about that. He said he spent days and days reading up on it and what it was because he wanted to, before he even met with her, her family, he wanted to know what these are, what she went through. Right. And so I think that, like, that was pretty cool of him to do that and not just be like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's just another mom that's killed her kids, snapped and killed her kids. Yeah. You know? But, and then I think the other thing is that with all the negative media attention around it, because I, I don't know about nationally or even globally, but here in the state, mm. this was a big deal. It was. Yeah. I remember I was I was younger when I, yeah, I was a kid. I did too. But this was a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, so I'm sure... As far as attorneys go, he's like, this is a case that could define and or ruin my career. And mm-hmm. so he's like, I want to be very careful how I approach this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that he took into, into account when he decided to take this case in the end. But one one more thing, too. The media really, or at least this is how I feel, when I watch old like cnn footage and stuff of this when it first happened like you said how much they just drug her through the mud yeah but then when you watch updates about like they did an update on the 15 year anniversary and then since this year was the 20th there was more like abc did one and cnn did one more in depth yeah and they really have changed their tune about her (laughs) yeah and i think that is too because more information has come out about mental health and oh yeah and particularly postpartum depression. Yeah. That, um, well, that and I think the facts of the case have been more heavily scrutinized. Yeah. Everything was very sensationalized when it, you know, any, anything, mm-hmm. any new case like that, it, it's bright and shiny and new and everything is blasted way out of proportion and misreported or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, like the, uh, law and order episode thing, you know, yeah. like people grab onto those things and run with them. Yeah. But, uh, so, They've, they've changed their tune now, probably mostly because she still is in a facility and she waves her right. I imagine if it ever came out that they were, that she was going to be released, it would probably be kill her mother out on the loose or something, you know, just whatever it is to make headlines and money and all of that. But 
that is the case. And hope you guys really enjoyed it. Even though we were all over the place, we my were. pill must be wearing off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I encourage you, and I'll tell this probably on every episode, but look into it some more. There's a lot of more information out there. And I mean, I, overall, I'm just glad that she's doing well. I wish yeah. the children were here. I wish this would have never happened. I wish we weren't ever talking about Andrea Yates. But yeah, but if you know, since it did happen, it's better that the person is getting treatment and taking care of their mental health. That that's the best outcome we could hope for after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'd like to go ahead and say, any relevant information, pictures, and things, uh, check out the Instagram. Yes. Yep. Uh, At the. Uh, girl the beard and the grim on instagram uh, on instagram um comment like share subscribe um yeah on any platform that you're listening to us on as well I'm trying to get those ratings up hey hey yeah some reviews <laughs> and some likes and shares would be awesome yeah. um but, but check us out I didn't mean to cut you off on the no, answer, <laughs> but our upload days again are on Saturday so look out for it our next episode will hopefully be 9-11 related because that's coming up as well yes the next episode uh will be released on saturday september 11th of 2021 um we're gonna do a episode kind of going over the 20 year anniversary talking about the day itself a little bit and uh what we've learned before and since about that date um and especially now with everything that's going on in the world i think there will be a lot more to add to the conversation regarding that mm -hmm. since uh, obviously here in the last week, week and a half, two weeks, there's been a lot of things that have happened overseas. Yes. But uh, yes, yes, yes. Also something I'd like to say to any listeners out there for some of the larger stories we have, I know the first two we did, there's, you know, we definitely could have made the multi-part episodes. If we really deep dived into things. Uh, I'm kind of curious, would y'all prefer you know, leave either a, a review or a comment on the Instagram somewhere. Would y'all prefer multiple mid-length episodes, you know, for big stories? Or would you like just the one long episode like we're doing now? You know, just kind of give us an idea of what, what you're wanting to hear. Yeah, yeah. Because that can help shape the show for, for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but that's, that's all I got. You got anything else? No. Nope. I think we're ready to wrap it up. So I hope y'all have a great day week whenever you're listening to this <laughs> yeah night hope, any of that um, hope everything's going well yeah absolutely so we really appreciate all the listens and we hope y'all have a good day bye guys y'all take it easy and thanks for listening to the girl the beard and the grim y'all have a good one